what a great man Moses was. <clears throat> so many wonderful attributes to this man. You look at what he accomplished as he served God. And yet we sometimes think that men like that are simply born into a position. But I'd submit to you that Moses was a man made by God. Moses was a man that was, at the end of his life, a man very humble and very meek. In fact, the theme verse we have used for this series of five lessons has been Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble or very meek, more than all the men on the face of the earth. What a special man Moses was. In our first lesson, we looked at Exodus chapters 1 and 2 at Moses' beginning of his life. We saw him as a child reared by Amram and Jochebed. Then in the second 40 years of his life, in Exodus chapters 3 and 4, we saw Moses, a man who had to be taught further by God, who went and served in the land of Midian as a shepherd for 40 years. And God called him, and he refused to answer. God wanted him to do the job, and he sought every excuse he could to not do it. Then God persuaded him. And in the third lesson, he went before Pharaoh and Egypt and confronted them and said, God said, let my people go. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. In the lesson last week, we looked at how Moses had to confront sin in the children of Israel, his own people. And in doing so, we saw how they failed over and over again. I'd like to remind you that if it is your job to have to confront people in their sin, you have to do so with humility and meekness. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, Paul writes, In humility or in meekness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. You see, it requires meekness. It requires humility. But you see, to this morning's lesson Moses is now going to have to not confront Pharaoh and Egypt, not confront the children of Israel, but he's got to confront the man in the mirror. And as he looks at himself, he has to face his own failures where he has disappointed God. And oh, there's so many lessons in that for us as well. Our plan this morning is to study basically the book of Numbers chapter 20. But in order to do that, I want us to look at three things. I want us to look, first of all, at some principles, particularly as they applied to the life of Moses, but then also to look at them as they would have application to us as well. Number two, I would like for us to look at the provocation. Israel provoked God to wrath and to anger. In fact, the book of Hebrews talks about do not harden your hearts as in the provocation. But you see, it wasn't just God they provoked. 
They provoked Moses as well. And in provoking Moses, or as we would say it in our modern language, they pushed his buttons. And Moses responded, and not in a good way. Which brought, brings about our third aspect, and that's the punishment. Let's begin our lesson, first of all, by looking at some basic principles relevant to the life of Moses. And one of the first things that you have to recognize, if we look further in our lesson text of Numbers chapter 12, you come down to verse 7 and you realize that the word faithful does not demand perfection. Because God speaks of him saying, not so with my servant Moses, he is faithful in all of my house. For most of us, we struggle between two extremes. We struggle between one extreme that says, I can't be perfect. I can't tell you how many people have come to me at one point or another and said, Tony, I'd love to become a Christian. I'd love to be baptized, but I can't be perfect. And I usually remind them, no, you won't be, because none of the rest of us have been either. Moses was not a perfect man, but Moses was a faithful man. Perhaps the best illustration I can give any of us is that of being a spouse. We can be loyal, we can be true, we can be faithful to our spouse, but none of us will ever be perfect. If you don't believe that, ask your spouse. And you'll find out you're not perfect. But you can be faithful. On the other hand, though, some of us have this idea that, well, if I don't sin the big sins, that somehow God is going to not count me as a sinner. You see, you don't have to violate every particular sin to be a sinner. James chapter 2, verse 10 Whoever will keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. Or Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things written in the book of the law to do them. You see, the problem that we struggle with is, I can't be perfect. No, you can't. Or, I haven't sinned the big sins. Moses was faithful. But Moses was not perfect. In fact, the truth is that you and I can see several failures in the life of Moses. The first one is he killed a man. You remember Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12? He saw one of the Egyptians mistreating, beating a fellow Hebrew. What does he do? It says in verse 12, he looked this way, he looked that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian. Now, I recognize none of us would want to be beaten. None of us would want to be mistreated, but that's not justification for murder. He doubted and argued with God. If you go back to chapters 3 and 4 of Exodus, you realize that God gives him a job to do. and His response is, God, I can't do that. He says, I'm not eloquent. He said, they won't believe me. And after he went through all of his five excuses, the last one is found in chapter 4, verse 13, where he says, O Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Or as the Holman Christian Standard Bible says, Lord, please send somebody else. I don't want to do the job. I'm not ready to do the job. 
I can't do the job. Moses doubted God's ability to give him the job to do and then for him to accomplish it. But perhaps the most famous of all Moses' failures is one that seems to be so minute and so insignificant in so many people's eyes. Moses went and he struck the rock when God told him to speak to the rock. There's no one who has not sinned. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 20 says, For there's not a just man on the earth who does good and does not sin. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 9 says, Who can say, I have made my heart clean. I am pure from my sin. You and I have to recognize as one of the basic principles with regards to Moses He was a man of failures, but he was a man who was faithful for the most part. Which leads me to the second aspect of our lesson, and that is the provocation. And I could spend a lot of time talking to you about the provocation of Israel before God. In fact, he often speaks of these ten times. They have provoked me, they've tested me, they've tried me. They were warned in Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 and 21, not to provoke God. He said, I'm going to send my angel before you who will keep you in the way and bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him. Obey his voice. Do not provoke him. Listen to God. Don't provoke him. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 7 and 8, looking backwards, Moses records, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. Oh, we could spend a lot of time talking about that provocation. Nehemiah later, many generations later, looks back at the children of Israel and he again says, even when they made the molded calf for themselves, and they said, this is your God and brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations chapter 9 verse 26 also says and they worked great provocations but in the middle of all of this provoking of God they provoked God's representative I remember looking at a little cartoon one time there was actually a cartoon called will be done Some of you may remember that. And the preacher got up in front of the congregation and he said something about the congregation being sheep and all of a sudden across the audience was bad, 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 bad. And then he says, well, let's face it, sometimes the sheep get on the shepherd's nerves. You have to remember that Moses was God's spokesman. And whenever God told the children of Israel to do something and they argued against God, they argued first against Moses. Now how does Moses handle this? You can imagine Moses most of the time was grieving because of it. But occasionally 
when a person provokes someone over and over and over again, do you know what it generally happens? Somebody gets angry and they lose their temper and they come off real strong and acting the way they ought not to. You remember James 1, 19 and 20? So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Oh, I could just keep reading that verse over and over again. And recognizing that when somebody provokes me and I respond in anger, I'm not doing what God wants me to do. David would say in Psalm 39 and verse 1, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. You know, it may be that tomorrow morning you get up and go to the work or as a younger person you get up and go to school. And it may be your boss or a co-worker. It may be your teacher. It may be your fellow students. And someone is constantly pushing you, pushing you, pushing you. And then finally all of a sudden you just lose your temper. Moses had resisted many times. But he didn't do so in Numbers chapter 20. Which leads me to, let's look at those first 13 verses of Numbers 20. I want you to open your Bibles. I want you to follow along. There's some important details. In fact, as you go through that, you may want to just notice a few of the details that just pop up for us. The children of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zen... In the first month, the people stayed in Kadesh and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If we had only died when our brethren died before the Lord... Why then have you brought this assembly of the Lord out into this wilderness that we and our animals may die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And they fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, And he said to them, 
Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because of the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. I recognize that's a long reading, but folks, there's so much to be appreciated there. The very first thing you notice is Miriam died. And you know in different families, you have different relationships. Sometimes brothers and sisters or sisters and sisters and brothers and brothers have close relationships and sometimes they're strained. It appears that Moses and Aaron and Miriam were close. Very dear to one another. In fact, worked together on a consistent basis. Miriam died. I don't know about you, but I remember the death of my mother and my father. And I know how an emotional time that can be. In fact, you can just look at someone else and they're going through death and immediately tears want to well up in your eyes. I have no doubt that their sense of emotions was heightened at this time. They had come to the wilderness of Zen. And to appreciate that, you really have to see it. Here's a picture of the wilderness of Zen. We drove through there a few years ago when we went from Egypt to Israel. I didn't take very many photos. You know why? It's just dirt. Look out this window of the bus. You see dirt. Look out the other window of the bus. You see dirt. Nobody lives there. There's no water there. There's no plant life there. That's what they said to Moses. You brought us out into a land. There's nothing here. In fact, there is in that area a model of the tabernacle. As you look around it, there's only an acacia tree that dots the landscape. But the real complaint is found in verses 5 and 6. In fact, if you go back there and you look, particularly in verse 5, they said, Moses, this is not a land of grain. This is not a land of figs. This is not a land of of vines and pomegranates. You lied to us, Moses. You said you were going to bring us to a land of milk and honey, and you didn't do that. Now, one thing that you miss, but that you in preaching a lesson like this, if you're not careful, is that you'll just run over something that happened earlier, but they've already been here. They've already been to the wilderness of Zen. I don't have time to cover Numbers chapters 13 and 14 for you, but for just a moment, humor me. 
They came to the wilderness of Zen. That's where they sent the spies out to spy out the land. And they started in the wilderness of Zen and went north. And the spies came back. You know what they brought with them? Big old piles of grapes. And they reported to the children of Israel, yes, it is a land that flows with milk and honey. Yes, it is a blessed land. But the cities there are walled, fortified, and they're large. And the people there are like giants. The descendants of Anak are there. And why did you bring us up here, Moses, to do this? In fact, just look at chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. The congregation lifted up their voices and cried. The people wept that night. The children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt or if we had died in the wilderness. Oh, they've been here before. Forty years has elapsed in between, though. You see, here's the problem. For 40 years, Moses has heard this people whine and complain and gripe and moan, we don't have everything we want. I don't know about you, but I can hear somebody complain once and I can say, okay, it's not too bad. But I want you to imagine... These people have whined, moaned, and complained and griped for 40 years. Not only that, there's chapters 15 and 16 and the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram who looked at Moses and Aaron and said, you take too much upon yourselves. Every one of the congregation is holy. And you know the earth swallowed up Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Oh, and it followed by a plague. Chapter 16, verses 41 and 42. The next day all the congregation complained against Moses and Aaron saying, you kill the people of the Lord. Do you hear who they're blaming? They're blaming Moses and Aaron. Verse 49, and those who died in the plague were 14 1,700 beside those who died in the Korah incident. Oh, there's death around them. And they're angry at Moses. Oh, here's Moses, though. He follows some of God's instructions. God told him to take the staff and gather the assembly. He did that. Verses 9 and 10. There's three possible ways to explain what Moses did that was wrong. First of all, you could say it was disobedience. God said, I want you to speak to the rock, and he struck the rock. That was disobedience. The second possible sin, and there may be a combination of these, he took the glory. Do you remember? He said, must we now, you rebels, bring this water for you? He didn't say, must God bring this water? And he goes on to say, you didn't hallow me. You didn't put me in a place of prominence and respect and some have even suggested that it was sacrilege since the rock represented Christ to strike the rock would have at this point considered been sacrilege I don't know that I accept that because God had told him to strike the rock earlier but in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 
They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. But then you get to verse 12 and the punishment that follows from this. What did God say Moses was going to be punished with? He says, You shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Now, folks, for just a moment, I want you to think. The last 40 years of his life was to go and lead the people to the promised land. And God said, you can't go in now. Moses begged God to let him go in. In Deuteronomy 3, as Moses is talking to the children of Israel, he's basically saying, you know why I don't get to go into the promised land? is because of you, because of the way you acted. He said, then I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, Oh Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. Verse 25, I pray let me cross over and see the good land and the beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And God said, I don't want you to speak any more about this matter. Enough, Moses. Take your punishment. Same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 34. If you go to the top of Mount Nebo, you can stand facing the promised land and there's a plaque right there and there's arrows pointing and you can look if it's a beautiful day or clear day and, and see Jericho, you can see Nablus, you can see Bethlehem, easily see the, the Dead Sea. In fact, if you just open your eyes, you can look over into the promised land that's all Moses is going to do. He's going to see it but not be able to enter. What I find interesting is those people whom Moses led out who came there and refused to go ahead, Moses is going to suffer the same punishment that they did in Numbers 14, verses 22 and 23. Now for just a moment or two, I want to look at six life lessons that you and I ought to take away from this part of our study. Poor decisions can have long-lasting consequences. It was just striking the rock. Oh, yes. But Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. I could give you a number of biblical illustrations. Perhaps the best is that of Esau. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about don't be a fornicator or profane person who like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. You know afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing he was rejected for he found no place of repentance though he sought it diligently with tears. I think of Moses saying, God please let me go into the promised land. No, Moses. How many times has a young man or young woman Surrendered their innocence only to realize there's long-term consequences when a little child is born out of wedlock. Or a man or a woman who's married chooses to 
commit adultery and then recognizes because of their momentary choice, they affect their lives profoundly forever as they lose their husband or their wife because of their infidelity. Punishment can be a great teacher. I know the punishment of Moses is certainly a teacher for us. Proverbs chapter 30 or 3 verses 11 and 12. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects just as the father does the son in whom he delights. David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your words. Verse 71 of Psalm 119, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. And then Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. And God said to Moses, Moses, I won't hear anymore. You've violated my law. You take your punishment. You should expect it. In fact, 1 Peter 2.20 says you take it patiently. Number three or number four, God may approve or authorize something at one point only to later not approve it or authorize it. He told Moses in Exodus 17 verse 6 to strike the rock. Later on he tells him to speak to the rock. When Moses strikes the rock the second time, it's wrong. Many of our religious neighbors and friends look at us and say, why do you and the churches of Christ not use an instrument of music in your praise and your singing? Well, because the New Testament doesn't authorize it. Oh, but you're just being a stickler now, aren't you? They had instrument of music in the Old Testament. Yes, they did. But you see... We respect God, what He says when He speaks to us today. And I'm going to do what He says to do. I'm not going to strike the rock. Number five, one needs to make sure his behavior always reverences God. God is always put on the throne. Number six, you've got to keep your focus on the goal. Making it to the promised land. Now, I don't know that I could spend much more time and try to make this point any more firmly than does the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. You know why he disobeyed? Do you want to go to the promised land? you want to go to heaven? Do what God says to do. I'm going to stop at this point. If you're not a Christian, if you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, and be baptized, you will receive what God promises, that is the forgiveness of your sins, His adding you to the church, and your destination being heaven. If you are a Christian and you're living a godly, faithful life, continue to do so. If sin has crept in your life, you ought to be thankful that God has offered you a pardon to say, I'm willing to take you back home. 
what I want you to do is repent, be sorry for what you've done, and ask for my forgiveness, and God will graciously answer. This time we have is a time for the Lord's invitation, and if you need to respond to Him, we encourage you to come forward as together we stand and sing.